goes to. Alright, you guys about ready? Welcome back to Two Homers and a Realist. This is another off-season pod. This normally would be a pod where we're real excited about the upcoming signing day, which was a, would be a week from today, but that world is behind us. I'm Steve. Lucas. Jay. And we don't have Connor, but we have something a lot better. We have a special guest, Eli Letterman, of um, a sellout crowd fame, his own podcast, his own notoriety moving across the landscape. Kind of the, I guess you would say, what you were saying earlier, the most important journalist in all of OU sports. That's what I remember. Yeah, that's what I, no, he, I Something think better than way. Connor is all I need <laughs> as, a, uh, as a tag. I'm going to put that in the Twitter bio. <laughs> a big step up. Well, we appreciate you being here. We're going we're gonna to dive into some stuff, some off-season type stuff, our views, what, what, what we should be looking for um, in this off-season. It's a long time between now and spring ball and then spring ball to fall camp and, and then the season. we gotta, we got to somehow bridge that gap. So what? I'll throw it out there. What do you guys think we should be thinking about and looking for as we try to not look in desperation but try to look for meaningful pieces of news we're still got transfer portal going on right now what is the real important stuff that we should be following um for me it's what news there isn't right you always want kids to stay out of trouble and um for some reason i don't worry as much under venable not for some reason (laughs) um it's a better as other regimes but i guess for right now this time of year that's that's what i'm looking at no news is good news yeah, same here for that. Um, it, it sucks not getting to look forward to anything recruiting-wise going into the, signing, the second signing day. And obviously with the transfer portal, for the most part, completely filled out, I guess we got the Washington lineman a couple of days ago. Um, outside of that, you had a poll question about will we see another uh, – How many people how will many we people will you get? See portal from here until spring. And the majority was – um, right at 50% answered one to two people. That was my answer. I had zero. Zero. What did I, you I think I went, was it two to four? One, one to two, two to three? Three to four, five Something plus. Like I just, I think we will just because you're going to have, there. you're going to have kids that are waiting to see where they're at on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. And so post spring, you're going to have X number of kids that, that see where they're at, third string, fourth string, whatever. But there's a college rule or each university has their own rule of you have to enroll by this point a certain date after uh, spring classes start mm-hmm. and if you don't then you can't participate in the spring activities so why I, why do it now probably why past that date at, at this point right get that, close it, if we're it's not. like two weeks or something after school starts that you have to I think, it's past. I think it was this past like a couple days ago ish that sounds right so well we got week, a guy this Sunday. week so well i think that's i mean this is where like the modern world of the coaching carousel thing that's what i mean a guy came from washington he only entered the portal after kaylin DeBoer went to to alabama uh you saw all the washington guys move all the alabama guys move michigan probably did a big part of keeping their guys intact by promoting sharon moore i'd guess the flood of guys going into the portal is pretty light so you're talking about whoever's left right but can whoever's they, can he participate the washington kid can he participate in spring practices if he didn't enroll until after whatever that date was. Now, I don't know what... I'm sure they can do a lot of magic in that uh, compliance office. And <laughs> that I could, I know that, uh, that Garen Hatchett was flying to Norman on Tuesday. Okay. He committed Monday. It's Wednesday. Yeah. He flew into... It to could Norman be a matter, speech. too, of where you're at in your academic... Well, he's, all, he's a fifth-year junior. Arena, so... Right. It's all jumbled. Is at he this a grad point, transfer? Yeah. He's not. Okay. But at this point... 
between COVID years, between whatever you know, gymnastics you can do. Yeah. They're just gymnastics. We're really good at gymnastics. <laughs> hey, great gymnastics program. <laughs> I would wager to guess that whatever is required to get him into winter workouts, which is what's important if we're talking about football. Right. We're really not talking about academics, are we? Yeah. Um, I'd imagine he'll be involved in the program, uh, the off-season program, and then involved in spring Hoping camp. In the spring games. Yeah, he'll be there. So do you have a guess, Eli, about how many players? Between now and yeah. the start of this. Like, and I think based on my poll, would that include the one? It was his, the poll was after he had already said. It was? Okay, yeah. okay. That's so. why I said zero, because I thought he would be the He'd last. be the guy. Okay. I would think he'd be the last. I mean, it would be, when I say a surprise, not I wouldn't be stunned if tomorrow there was a signing. Right. Looking out there or thinking about what they need, I would think they're pretty settled for now. But if there were some, another great offensive lineman or some stud, but if they're worth, everyone would be going after him. For some reason, I, I thought it was a post-spring portal question. Well, there's, a, oh, okay. Well, there's, yeah, no, I, will I tried to structure it so it wasn't the post-spring portal question, thinking there is going to be, that's, I would, I would imagine, like we have in years past, we will lose push out a couple of guys maybe five you know four or five so yeah post like spring that. game if a kid realizes he's yeah that's, third or that's fourth, and then welcome some others yeah in yeah i didn't that answer that i answered it towards spring and not right that, and that's how you, that's how, how many people do we have in the portal that can rescind like grimes we talked about hasn't gone anywhere yet that's do the we only have, one the only one that hasn't committed anywhere yet seems right yeah. but i don't think that he comes back i mean yeah so Eli, you got inside scoop. Give me your take, and we'll talk about ours. What's your take on the vibe of the program right now, and and where things are headed? We got it. We got uh, a new defensive. Uh, is he officially coordinator? Uh, for, so, for the uh, pay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is he yeah. calling the plays? Who knows? Yeah. So Zach's Zach's in young talent. That's pretty awesome. What what you, what is your take on the vibe of the program as it stands compared to? where we've been in a, in a similar January situation in years past. Well, compared to a year ago this time, I think you're feeling pretty good. Because uh, this time last year, you're coming off six and seven, and it was sort of a run it back. It was losing some, some talented guys. You're talking about Marvin Mims, uh, Anton Harrison, but feeling just, I, I, I'm engaging you guys, not to turn the question back, but how are you feeling this time last year? Probably if he after six and seven, I mean start. the homers over here were thinking we were going to go twelve and one or something ridiculous. But <laughs> I, I mean, what was my nine and three? I think is what I had our ours going into the. I had us at season. eleven and one, not twelve and one, and then it well, you had us one to twelve and zero, <laughs> which all was in play. I mean, right. To be honest, we were well, you know, but very that was close. yeah. I mean, I think at this point last year, pretty positive expectations rising. Uh, optimistic after the Florida State performance. Optimistic after the Florida yeah, State yeah. performance. Offensively, especially. And looking at, yes, and looking at where we were, with a lot of hope for defense, too. Yeah. Like, I would say my, my takes on defense played out. Yeah. That I thought we were going to rise to rise to the next level, and well, we, we were, did. We were at the point of, like, how much worse could it really be? Yeah. We'll also, we've also got plenty of guys getting with better, that extra getting experience. Yeah. That we, and then we thought Canik was really going to come on. And we thought the schedule better. would be easier I think then we then it actually ended up being even though it wasn't yeah. really tough. I'm going to admit it wasn't really tough, but we thought it was going to e- be even easier than it ended up being. Yeah. Um, but we thought with the Sawchuck Barnes Florida State situation that the offensive you know offense output would be a lot better than it ended up being. The run game, whatever the numbers end up barring yeah, at game. the end, it, they didn't match the eye at the end of the season, and you really wondered. 
from this point last year to how the season ended, what happened to the run game especially. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, Jeff Levy happened to the run game. I think where you sit now is feeling this, whether you want to call whatever Brent Venables inherited as a, you want to say a rebuild or just picking up and getting his program off the ground, this now feels a lot more like Brent Venables' program. And we're all going to find out how that turns out. But this is now the Jackson Arnold era. This is uh, Brent Venables hiring a new offensive coordinator, hiring a defensive coordinator who feels more like someone who's going to be, whether Zach Alley is directly calling plays or it's some sort of system, this feels more like a program to borrow a crappy term built in his image. I think that's a great point. I think that's a really good point that, when you look at a coach, a brand new coach, brand new to head coaching, it's really not his until not only has he cleaned house and gotten his guys in and gone through a few recruiting cycles, but also changed some things, including changes he initiated. So he obviously brought in Ted Roof and now has graduated away from Ted Roof, if you will. He has changed and graduated away from Jeff Lebby that, you know, it's, we can looking from the outside in. I think it's pretty clear that was a mutual decision uh, all around about making that replacement. So it looks a little bit more like it's it's his animal. It's his baby. You've basically got a defense coming back. That you know, obviously there are Lincoln Riley guys still there, but you can't tell me that Danny Stutzman is not the one of the faces of the Brent Venables era now, right? Billy Bowman the same way. There's other guys like that. Jackson Arnold, yes. Yeah the face of the program at this point and we're going to everyone's going to be on that ride and that's a that to me you ask about like what what's the story of this time right now is the lamest cop out you brought me in and i'm going to tell you that jackson arnold's the story <laughs> but he is the story he is the story it's oklahoma and it's a brand new quarterback and it's a five-star quarterback and the whole whole thing this feels like brent venable's program now not that it wasn't the last two years but I, that More that's so me, than ever and everything reflects on him now you you can say, all right, Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman were Lincoln Riley guys, but this is a everything here. They're the portal guys that Brent Venables has brought in. You're starting. It'll be early, but that 2023 class, which is his first true class, they'll at the very least be guys in the depth or competing to start. Yeah. You want to talk Peyton Bowen or further on down. So this, to me, feels like they have got this in the place that, that you can judge Brent Venables on, and, and then we're going to find out. I mean, they're, they're going to need time to develop certain spots the defense coming back is really exciting it's all measured against the sec which is good luck trying to guess where they're going to land everywhere or how the schedule is going to play out how it matters in a 12 team playoff scenario but this to me feels the the influx of defensive line as far as the freshmen coming in david stone and what's the other kid's name jackson Jackson, Jackson. those guys nigel smith those guys would have never been here with an alice grinch defense no those aren't the type of <clears throat> national top 300 guys or whatever the rankings are that would have even bothered showing up for a defense that performed like we had before Brent I mean, P.J., the year before, yeah. ended up being, was he like the seventh overall player? Maybe that's maybe that was one of his highest rankings. Yeah. The seventh overall. Getting and guys David like Stone's completely changed fifth overall. Everything. I mean, we just, we haven't got defensive players like that in over a decade. Well, I think picking up on something you were saying, Eli, is a good point. The few players we have that were from the prior Lincoln-Riley era regime, they are remade in the Brent Venables style now. And he has put his mark on those guys and, and improved them and changed them in a way 
if you look back at, at prior transitions, you really, he was an assistant coach. So when, when Riley took over, it's a little different, but it took a couple of years before you'd say, this is a Lincoln Riley team. And that Lincoln Riley team was actually a little disappointing. When you look at the Bob Stoops transition, he brought in great changes. Uh, the only criticism that some John Blake apologists would say was he's doing it all with John Blake players. Now, he moved them all to different positions, including <laughs> different sides of the ball. But it really wasn't until that 2001, 2000, 2003 quarterback from Utah. <laughs> that he got his stamp of this is my team. And so now we are in an era of, to again look back at Bob Stoops, no excuses. This is Brent Venable's machine. And it, it lives or dies, succeeds or fails, and he has to be responsible for that in a way that you just can't apologize for it anymore with anything. I, obviously, a, a 6 and 7 is not going to be acceptable. But even a 10 and 2 with really disappointing losses in those two and then a bowl game performance that it's, it's hard to even evaluate that and say how that factors into it. That That's no longer like you... You're feeding the monster, and the monster is going to demand more. It's tough for me because of of what time of year that the coaching changes happen. Um, this is this will be Venable's third season, obviously, and his third recruiting class. But really, ninety percent of that first class, you just try and hold together. You add a couple of pieces to it that you find because he had what two weeks or three weeks before early signing period. So, really, you've got one class coming into this season that's been on campus for a full year that are completely his players. I think more, and I'm not making an excuse at all for next season, but I think 25, you can fully, completely judge Venables as a coach. Two full years in the SEC. Because you've got, but you've got, in His full first turnover. real class of, of 100% players Our that he evaluated, he looked at, or in their junior season. Yeah, oh, junior, yeah. Junior season. Yeah, the seniors will be a class he held together. Right. But, um, I mean, even with all that being said, next year's, gosh, who knows. I, to me, we've talked about it before. You might not have, have, have listened necessarily, but. Should have. Um, what do you think he gets his inside I tune in. I tune in. To, I think to. Uh, to us, me specifically, the offensive line is what is going to be the difference between six and eleven wins. Yeah, everyone's keying in on. I mean, that. it's somewhere. And, and it's you it had matches. Sam Mays on your podcast, and that was a really insightful um, look from the inside, from not just someone who was an, a former and successful offensive lineman, but he adds value in that he was not. He's not an OU uh, alum and homer, if you will. And he is a very intelligent guy, it, you know, as most linemen, offensive linemen are. He brought a lot of good information to it. Um, I didn't agree with everything he said, but I agreed with quite a bit of what he said. And I thought all of it was really valuable. And he keyed in on the fact that that is the critical area. He was a little bit more skeptical, I would say, as to how good they can be. And that's part of what, if I had disagreement, that was the disagreement area. I've got a little more hope that they can pull things together. But at the same time, that's where Bedenboe and other, that's the situation where they've got to prove themselves right now. Because like you say, Jay, this season is going to be make or break, probably based on that position group. Well, um, go ahead. I agree. I mean, yeah, so I work with Sam, and the best thing about Sam is he's going to tell you 
like it is, or at least as he perceives it. And yeah. he's got expertise, and you know he carries the Oklahoma State tag, but he's not bringing that with him yeah. for better and worse. You know, he will. He I can. He, on my podcast, he spoke when OU had three transfer offensive linemen, and it was Spencer Brown, Michael Tarkin, and Fabeshi Wewu. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a week before Garen Hatchett committed, and I spoke to him about uh, Garen Hatchett, and we t- shot a little video the other day. He was pretty relatively down on who the Sooners had brought in. When you consider the context of replacing starters at all five spots, and really s- we'll include Savion Bird here, of six starting caliber offensive linemen, guys that OU relied on in 2023. That's a huge hole, especially when you're going to the SEC. So when you're talking about the three guys they brought in, really only Spencer Brown has been a proven starter at the Power 5 level. And then you're talking Jacob Sexton, who I I know in the program they're very high on and has been impressive. But past that, you're talking about some young, developing guys who, who they like, but are they ready for 2024 to start in the SEC? That would be a jump. But then you bring in a Garen Hatchet, and you feel a little bit better about it because the the line starts to take shape. But that, if we're talking, uh, it's about to be February 2024. Offensive line is where you'd key in because that determines how Jackson Arnold's first year go goes, how Seth Luttrell's first year goes in in his job here, how the running backs do. It, it extends everywhere, and even probably hits the defense in some way, shape, or form. That would be the, the, the group you could key in on right now and really evaluate and at least have real questions about going So, Lucas, you made it an interesting observation, I think, that that is pretty well agreed on, that defensively, defensive line is loaded with some really good talent that comes in. Young talent. Yep. Young talent. Now, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, as I look at it, maybe I don't know my stuff as much as I need to to, to really make this speculation, but... To me, although every position group needs to work as a, a fluid unit, defensive line and the nature of defense is if you've got a talent, like you look at what going back a long time Tommy Harris did, putting Tommy Harris on the field just is disruptive. And all you have to do in defense is if you're that good, you just be disruptive and you can have a huge impact. Offensive line really has to gel as a full unit. They've got to work together as a team. And so even with a lot of good pieces of talent coming together, you've got to put it together as one cohesive group that knows and works as a single, almost like a single player with multiple arms and multiple brains, not just a guy out on his own on an island making a big play. An offensive lineman can't just make a big play unless it's maybe opening up a hole. He's got to be helping his his brothers to the left and right. I think their biggest plays are not messing up on a play. Right. You don't want to know their names. Yeah. yeah. Like a corner. You don't want to hear a it's corner's name. It's almost like cooking something or making a drink. You can put these ingredients in, but if you leave one out, it screws the whole drink up. Right. Or if you put too much of one in, yeah. it screws that drink up. So, yeah, if what position is the hatchet guy again? Is he going to play is it pr- I would, left tackle? Or I would I'd say right guard. right guard. Is where he's, I'd he's say right guard. guard. Okay. I bet Sexton's a left tackle. And I think Sexton's the right side right. of your line, really center to right, you have Troy Everett. You'd have Garrett Hatchett and Spencer Brown. You feel good about that. You'd probably feel good, again, not knowing what it looks like in the SEC or how they gel about Sexton on the left, and the guard spot's the place to figure out. Well, yeah. the Tarquin kid played on the left side of the line at Florida and did much better on film on the left. He went to USC, and they put him at like right tackle, and he struggled. Didn't have a good year last year. 
Well, their whole offensive line was trash. Honestly. Yeah, but I mean, was running for his life the whole season. Some players do have a left right. It's 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 a much bigger yeah. deal than whatever. So maybe he can be very comfortable at left guard, and That's maybe there is a solidifying for. five you've got. I don't. I don't. I wasn't. What ever, about what about what was the North Texas kid's name? Um, uh, Fabechi. We who, Sam doesn't think he's playing. Well, and the thing about that one is he's a Seth Latrell guy. He was a walk on at North Texas, who then went on to start twenty some odd games at North Texas. That says something. There's a piece. I mean, none of us know this. I'd have to talk to Fabechi himself. Some think he was hurt last year. That might impact the tape and the film. I think Sam's uh, take on him was he didn't. You know, you're watching a guy at North Texas. If he's going to play the Power Five, you want to see him at North Texas. Just demolishing, demolishing guys. guys. If he was hurt, that could impact that. But uh, there's some thought that whether it's Michael Tarquin, I, I would doubt that they'd move Jacob Sexton inside. But, you know, you could move. There's some flexibility of these yeah. guys. That's why Bill Bedenboe makes the money he makes to develop any of these guys, but maybe to move guys to, to spots where they can get, you know, something out of them, and, and that could be effective. But I think... The offensive line, it's like a, in pass protection, it's you don't want to know their name because you don't want to know the guy who gave up his third sack in a game. Or jumped off sides. Or jumped off sides. A difference this year, as good as this offensive line was at times, experience what they struggled with. They protected Dylan Gabriel pretty well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What separates a good enough offensive line from a great one, and that's even before the SEC and talking about that, is can they get a push? I felt like this year's team mm-hmm. with, with Oklahoma, they struggled at third and two was not the given they needed it to be. And we all looked at the running backs, and that was its own problem at times. It kind of got better over the second half when Gavin Sawchuk came on, but they just couldn't get that push they needed. And so it, it'd be one thing for this brand-new, new-look offensive line to just be able to keep Jackson Arnold upright. Well, we're, on, another thing to, we're on the to train of, of that being a, a levy problem and we could be way off mm-hmm. either the hope or the, the, the hope, right yeah it's it's some I mean, combination listening sure. to, to Gabe's podcast with Teddy you know he would talk during the season you know I don't know why they're running this scheme and not this this other scheme because the guys that they've got would be great at, at running this run scheme right. and and not you know and they go into the nuts and bolts of it which we're we not, talked we're a lot about RPOs line. about yeah the we, lack of your offensive of, line isn't sure what's happening is it a quick throw? Are we running it? What are we doing? And if you, if you, if it's black and white, what's going to happen on this play? And you know that we're running it left, and you just go just do go your push that job guy. and push. Maybe that makes a difference. It's They yeah. they simplified the run game over the back half of the season. It happened to coincide with Gavin Sautra getting healthy, but also taking off and looking like the guy you saw in the Cheez It Bowl. Much better. There's a million reasons why that could have been the case, but I, I know they they went to some simpler stuff. Who knows what input Seth Luttrell had on that? Jeff Levy changing what what they were doing, but that was a part of it. Was was getting simply simpler. Um, what was I, I was going to say? Um, I was never a big Rain fan. Um, hopefully we get better at the center position. But when you're talking offensive line, it's not just those five guys. The tight end has a big part in running plays, and none of us. Were thought Stogner did a good job this year. Um, even when Stogner was here before he went to South Carolina, you know, as a freshman, we thought, oh, maybe he's going to come in and be the next Calcaterra because Calcaterra had a good career until, you know, the injuries. And so that's all we hoped for was him to just slide in there and be close to what Calcaterra was. And then he, he got injured in, against Kansas, like a deep thigh bruise that went really bad. And then Braden Willis was – he's not a tight end. He's more of an H-back. But 
could do a little bit of everything. And then this year you bring Stogner back, and he never really progressed from where he was the first time. But now you've got, the, what's the kid's name coming in from Baylor? Roberts? Jake Roberts. I mean, to me, when you're talking offensive line running. Well, you got Devon Mitchell, who's modified stuff. Yeah, but he's offensively you can come in as a pass catcher. You don't know what he's going to do. Right. Though, I'm more concerned with game. the tight end help in the run game. Yeah. And <clears throat> if that can help settle some of these holes where, yeah, maybe you're a little bit weak at left guard, but sex and moving left tackle can be really good, and then you put a tight end on that side, then that helps. And Steve noticed a lot of it was really easy to read what you were going to do by what Stogner did. If he, oh, Stogner left Stogner, the whole play. Stogner would move from right to left, and you knew that they were running left, where previous offenses – you would use that. You move the move the tight end the opposite direction of which way you're going to run because you're dragging a defensive player away from the play. And it seemed like Levy's entire playbook running was to move the offensive lineman into the blocking and never trying to do the other way. Yeah, and so not much counters. What I think would shed a lot of light on this is if we could actually talk to the coordinators. But, of course, since the Cincinnati game, we were shut down to have any interviews. The press conferences never included coordinators. So what do we think about that? Do we, do we have hope that we're going to get some, some coordinator press conferences? Will we get some Mondays where we get to ask them questions? What do you think, Eli? You're in those rooms. Well, if you're asking about my hope, it's absolutely. Because my position, the more, uh, the more access we have, uh, the better. And I... I genuinely believe the more access that we have the folks who cover the team seven days a week in football season and most of the days outside of football season the better for fans people who want to know more about this team and that that was a yeah mid-season change where you know we we would get Jeff Levy and Ted Roof after games but those are not only short windows but you don't uh, have the time to think about what you want to ask it's either yeah, you're just or, about what just happened at that particular game it's it's really concentrated on the game and not uh, fairly for the, the coordinator who's at the podium they're very much so in the moment and right whether it's coming down from the booth or haven't had a chance to watch film so the, the, the those sessions on a monday both removed from the game but also the, the benefit of them watching stuff i mean so many answers sometimes after a game can be, well, I got to go look at the tape, and that's right. reasonable. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we we certainly lost something when when the the coordinator pressers went away, and um, I can say that from the the short time we had with Seth Luttrell at the Alamo Bowl, he was really enlightening and a guy I'd love to talk more with and hope that we get to see more of. And then, you know, whatever the determination is on you know Zach Alley and his play calling, he's he is brought in as the de facto defensive coordinator whatever that means with Brent Venables this is always going to be a Brent Venables defense here but uh, he'd be somebody I'd love to to hear more from speak more to and uh, that's where you know the hope would be that that's many months away but um, we, we still haven't spoken to Zach Alley yet since he got on campus um, and I could see I'd that hope I could more see that, that sheltering but I, I hold out hope for you as well as fans I think we want to see that we we in fact almost as a criticism if they um, from the position they're in of not having coordinator interviews, you've got to have some visibility with those guys. We criticized Riley for not getting ac- allowing access to players, and this is the same type of criticism. I think it's a fair one to say if you're not criticize if you're not allowing us to critique and ask questions, the hard questions of these guys that make millions of dollars to explain the position and what's going on. You're really you're you're missing something now. My my Homer hope here is 
that Brent Venables and, and company saw the writing on the wall and saw the situation and said, we've got two things going on right now that are kind of on fire. One is we've got a difficult situation with Jeff Levy and the Art Bryle situation that it erupted after the SMU game, which was one game before Cincinnati when they killed all those press conferences. And the other is our offense isn't where we want it to be. And he may have been making a decision of what is healthy for this team if we get a lot of very difficult, critical, um, everyone sitting around criticizing and, and blaming, we're not going to be productive and get to where we want to be. And maybe it's a different attitude when they're in an SEC environment in a new year with coordinators now he really wants to put forward and, and is kind of a reset back to where they were two years ago to say, here's, here's what we're doing, ask these guys the questions and have them explain the theory behind what we're doing, why we're doing it, what we didn't do, and, and explain mistakes. Obviously, the nature of those is a lot more of you did this wrong or this, didn't, well, this wasn't successful, explain it. There's a little bit of, you're so good right now, tell me more about it. But that only goes so far because that's not interesting. We see the success. We want to know, what are you doing to correct the problems that we're seeing when there are shortcomings? And that's going to be really important to see, especially in a brand new Seth Luttrell run offense, to say, where are you? Um, What's going on with the running game? What's going on with what you're seeing? And where do you want to take this team? Because those first few games are pretty easy. And you're not going to learn a lot from them. And you're going to want to see where you're developing and taking it to the next level because all of a sudden the SEC schedule kicks in and you've got a level of competition that's going to demand really good high execution, including an opening up of the playbook. And let's see what you really can do and what you can produce. So I'm hopeful that they will. What was the Seth Luttrell postgame Art Almo? Because we went down there after the game was over. We we walked, what, like a mile back to the hotel? and. Uh-huh. We did our podcast after, and I really didn't see any any coaching post game talk. Um, what was, is, you know, when we watched Lebby, especially after a loss, he's just not the, he wasn't the friendliest guy to begin with. He definitely didn't want to share any information about the offense in general. Didn't it's feel about, like a bit defensive. Yeah, very defensive. I, I would say. What was Latrell like after the game? Uh, he was not made available after oh, the Alamo that's, Bowl. That's but, weird. I'll give him a pass on that. I, I think. You know, that night, I, I bet you if that ends in a win, maybe it's a bit different. Oh, I'm sure. And in a bowl game, at, at this point, you know, anymore in college football, exhibition. I, that must be why I didn't see any, didn't see any post-game stuff with Seth Luttrell. There you go. <laughs> I mean, um, I, he was going to come there and say, well, you can't turn the ball over six times and win a game. Right. Now, if we turned it over four times, we would have won that game. <laughs> because to Which me, is crazy. Out, outside, yeah. of, outside of Farouk fumbling twice, we we win we win that game. Yeah, you take you take away those fumbles, and I don't care what Jackson Arnold did, turn the ball. Over. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm not giving a pass to Arnold. No, a couple bad interceptions. But you see you see a glimpse of what I think the the media narrative wanted to be because immediately after that giant throw to Thompson, he was on ESPN, and they're like, you know, Jackson Arnold hits this tremendous pass, and it's like they want a story like that. They want to talk about how great this is and how it's rolling. I'm talking about the, the media in general, you know, outside of the Oklahoma media. And obviously the fans want to see that. So it, I think you're right. If we win that game, the whole storyline is this young quarterback takes over excitement for the next year and what it, what it is to bring. And then a wet blanket got thrown over all of it with additional turnovers that cost us that game. So that probably does change the, the 
entire post-game situation. But I guess as far as like a coordinator availability goes, I, I think I understand why a program would pull back on it. It probably doesn't serve a program tons either way. But I think, you know, for a fan base, for someone in my position, it, it's certainly it's helpful insight. And it, it's asking, you know, I don't blame Brent Venables when he doesn't have an answer on every little intricacy of the, the offense because that's not his domain. He's the head coach. He oversees everything. But um, he cedes control to whether it's Jeff Levy or Seth Luttrell. Um, where it burns for – where it burns me, uh, in addition to just not having, you know, insight and getting asked questions, we all have questions about the offense, things like that. After the Kansas and Oklahoma State losses, we got Jeff Lebby post-game very briefly, both on the road. Those road games tend to be shorter. So we got him for the periods we got him, but didn't talk to him either Monday. Mm-hmm. The guys who had to really speak up and who did and who stepped up were Dylan Gabriel and Drake Stoops, who both spoke for like 25 minutes, I remember, after that Oklahoma State game, mm-hmm. uh, as in the week after. Mm-hmm. And they were true professionals even though they are not and they really stood in for every question I actually want to say it was after Oklahoma State Dylan Gabriel gave one of his best media sessions of the whole of his whole time at OU and it wasn't even much about the game Um, it was just other stuff and when you really take a step back from that you're talking about a couple of 22 year old kids who now are making some money but they're not paid um, compared to, in, in that instance, a coordinator is making almost $2 million. Um, and both those guys are more mature than the, than the well, coordinator. Well, however you want to put it, yeah. but, you know, that, well, when I you put it that of, way, it, yeah. it just... I think it, there's a lot of marketing that goes into that, too, and they're putting the, in front of the media the guys who are going to market it good, and, you know, maybe this is a, a virtue and, and testament to how well adept Brent Venables is in the whole situation to say... We're still in a marketing situation, and he knew the sensitivity of the situation. He knew recruits that he wanted to hang on to. He wanted to put forward a face of, we've got continuity. We know what we're doing. We know what we're building. Here are two guys deep in the program who are totally bought in, and he didn't want to have a chance for it to be a distraction to have Lebby out there. I'm Again, this well, is sort of a out there, he's still, take. he's still on the team on the bus because yeah, yeah, yeah. he so, was essentially blaming Drake for not going far enough on the first down. Yeah, that was that was one of our yeah. big problems. Was blamed for you know uh, he blamed uh, well after the Kansas he blamed Dylan Gabriel for the interception mm-hmm. was it a pick six yeah early early on the way through to Farouk yeah and uh, and then the Farouk fumble he said he he, he threw Farouk and yeah uh, he, well, he's got a guy playing running back that's a wide receiver yeah, totally his fault yeah and so that. we I really had a major problem with you know we say we don't want to hear coach speak for the most part but in situations where you're coming off a loss. You're doing the opposite of coach speaking. You're kind of throwing your players under the bus, and I, I don't like that on any level, whether it's NFL or college. Regardless, um, the coordinator doesn't need to say, "Well," he he said on the Kansas one. He said, "Well, that was an RPO. Dylan probably should have handed the ball off." I mean, yeah, come on. And then the Drake Stoops. Well, the play I called should have worked essentially, but Drake only took it two yards instead of four yards, or whatever. What's a terrible play call to begin with? Yeah. Um, and you need to say that. You need to, as much coach because you want to put it out there, you should have said, I should have made a better call because that wasn't the right one, and he wouldn't do that. So not not getting a coordinator on Mondays when it's, he's in a defensive position anyway mm-hmm. wasn't such a bad thing to me 
as the season went along because I didn't want to hear from Jeff Ledby because every time I did, it was something yeah. I completely disagreed. No, I think it was a pretty good move. Um, it'll, it remains to be seen how they do this in the transition, but it, we keep alluding to or really just naming what is, be it a homer take, a realist take, whatever, a fan take. We want to see um, success, and we want to believe that our lack of success was a lot of Jeff Levy and the Jeff Levy system, the Jeff Levy theories, the Jeff Levy everything. Um, now, we may be hanging our hat on that too much, or some of us, where we're thinking it's, it's all Jeff Levy and it's not. But I don't think any of us are thinking it's going to be roses. We're not no. thinking we're coming out there with a 2024 offense that's going to exactly light the SEC and, the, and, and all of college football on fire. We do want consistent production. We kind of want an offense that the defense can be proud of, which is the opposite of what we wanted under the Riley regime, which is an offense, a defense that the offense could be proud of. We just want excellence in both cases. We want it, though, progressing at a level that makes sense. So we're, I think, all realistic about what we should be expecting coming into the first year of the SEC. So let's transition to talk about that. Early, early on, we have a lot. We have spring ball to go through and everything else, but... How do we think OU is going to fare in the SEC in this uh, upcoming year? What do you think it's going to look like? I think if you get decent to good offensive line play, there's no limit for the offense, to be honest with you. Unless Jackson Arnold just ends up being a turnover machine where he's just three, four picks a game, makes Rattler-esque decisions constantly. Um, I don't see that being the case. I think he's going to grow immensely from that. And the talent at receiver, the incoming talent at tight end, running back talent that's already there. Like I said, if the if the offensive line can just produce at a mid-level tier SEC barometer, I think the offense could be off the charts. I'm, I think if the defense can hold most teams under 24 to 28 range – that alone should win you seven or eight games. Oh, if you can hold someone to twenty four, you should win. Well, you should, games, but you're going to have you're, you're going to have a freshman quarter, but well, he's going to be a sophomore because he lost his. But twenty four is not anything anymore, right? But we had plenty of games last year that the offense were wasn't scoring over what was he thirty one well, or something like the, the defense, last five games. If the, the defense season. can hold to twenty four points, yeah. We should be in every game, have a chance to win every game. We have a chance to be twelve and zero. We have a chance to be. I mean, eight and four is tough to say if we held them every game to twenty-four. I don't see four losses. I think if you're holding everybody to twenty-four, you're in the nine and three, ten and two at minimum range. At minimum. But I mean, obviously, there's going to be some games you may play Ole Miss because they just bought half of college football apparently, <laughs> and they may they well they did buy a bunch of defensive guys, but yeah, that's if, true. If if their offense puts up you know thirty-eight on you, yeah, you can lose that game because your offense isn't quite there yet. But a lot of games with I'm especially optimistic with Bowman and Stutzman coming back, which I know that's only two players, but that's that's the well, two I mean, major players at their well, at I their think, level of the defense. I think you had Terry. That's right and in the middle. If your defensive line, you're you've got a couple of the freshmen that don't have to be incredible, but the rotational guys. That if you, like Steve said, you have you got a Tommy Harris that comes and disrupts, you know, which could five be plays Stone. a game. If you have five plays a game from a David Stone that can disrupt something. Well, what, where we finished in the second in the country in turnovers or something along those lines or third, some, somewhere around there. And that was, you know, you got all these guys come back with even more experience. That was having, 
you know, a bad spot with Canick, not not fulfilling what we hoped he would do. Pretty average D line play from average. Yeah, Bothroyd never a lot went of off. pressure, I think he but for that the season, didn't he? I don't think Bothroyd had a sack. He might have had season. one, but he had like early eight. Yeah, the year before, right? Yeah. So when if if you figure that Bowman and Sussman don't take a step back, and they're going to just be as good as they were last year. And then you add Peyton Bowen coming in. Getting better. I don't think Reggie Pearson did that great of a job um, when he was in there. You know, we have a healthy, hopefully, uh, if we get a healthy gentry. You know what you get from Woody. Woody's on the other side. I say, I think Woody Washington, I I think him coming back was really big. Just in that, whatever you think about Woody Washington, one, he was an important leader on that defense. But instead of having to replace your number one cornerback and making gentry that number one guy, He's your number two, and Dejan Malone coming in from San Diego State gets to compete for one of those spots, and if he's better than either of those two, great. If he's on par, you have rotation. Harrington at the Cheetah is going to be a huge yep. If he can, The way he started the season, mm. if he comes in and you've got between him and Dolby and Dolby in the Cheetah, there's all kinds of things you can do on defense with those three guys You know, running in and out of there. I'm very excited about being honestly being able to keep teams under 24 and 28 what do you think Eli first year of the SEC I mean points per game I couldn't throw a number out but I, th- I think you guys just hit on all the depth that they have like you look at cornerback I, you got two returning starters you have a, a starting guy from San Diego State and then all the freshmen that played a year ago they were excited about in that 23 class they'll be in that depth you look at the at the safeties Billy Bowman's back Peyton Bowen another year Robert Spears Jennings, they really like in that in that program. Uh, there's more there. Linebacker position, we we know they've liked Kip Lewis. We know they like Kobe McKenzie. Um, Lewis huge to keep Kobe. I mean, it's not yeah, it's not still one more round, but yeah. to keep him through this point, I think it's massive. And Jaron Kanek, you know, he he certainly tailed off at the back end of the year, but you, you bring him in for another year of development, another off season, all that. There's depth there. That that's the important part. There's depth, and up front. It was unspectacular line play, and I know we always look at, at sacks and so then you look at the, the edge rushers. But inside, I, I think bringing back Jacob Lacey and Dejon Terry, that's... Downs is back, too. And that's just Downs a core. A and then on the edge, Ethan Downs is great on the edge. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, the same way you would have been talking about Rondell Bothroyd and Trace Ford a year ago, you'd be talking about Caden Willard now, the guy coming in from Miami, Ohio. You know, you're, you're projecting, but there's... That is a deep. We just ran through that whole defense, and and on offense, there the skill spots you feel good about. But you know the offensive line, we can talk about all the turnover. On defense, they're coming back pretty set. And I think to me, nine of ten leading tacklers are back. I think that's that is massive when you go into the SEC. I mean, you probably. I don't know if I asked you guys, would you rather go into the SEC with a, an intact defense or? A fully intact, you know, legit offensive line. I don't know what the answer would be. I take the defense, I but think. but I, I think going in with that. I mean, the difference of if we were talking in December, where Danny Stutzman, Billy Bowman, Woody Washington all leave, and maybe those two guys up front or three of the five take your mm-hmm. You're talking about a way less stable defense and a way less stable picture for 2024. At least you got that. You can worry right now about the offensive line. You can have whatever concerns you have about a, a first year starting quarterback. But the defense coming back in in the state it is from where it could have been because yeah. Danny Stutzman was pretty ready to go, and there were you know there were guys uh, I think it helps to be in this year of NIL to to retain guys who 
don't necessarily have great draft grades who could come back and improve it a year or just spend another year in college that's more lucrative than being an undrafted free agent or a late-round pick. The defense being intact, I think, is the biggest selling point for the Sooners. Yeah, well. it is huge. And Woody, Woody himself, I don't, I'm not sure if he has the second most starts coming back as a defender in the SEC or just as a corner. But that's still it's a big I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of games. And you still got the the possibility of development because yes, we see what Danny did last year. Well, you know, Brent's first year. And then you see what Danny looked like this year. And they look, he looked like two different players. And if Canick or Kip, well, I think Kip Lewis is probably going to get that spot. But if Kip makes that jump, I mean, at the Arizona if game. it can get better. In the Arizona Bowl game, Kip was phenomenal. And he got injured and came back and was gimpy and still looked great. Well, and Stutz and Billy are going to get better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, yeah, was, they're not going to get worse more unless it, due to injury. Yeah. I mean, you're, if, and you're talking about two guys that were competing for the top award in their positions well, and likely Peyton Bowen got should, uh, Eli I mean uh, Eli I'm thinking of uh Eli Bowman. Bowen's coming in <laughs> but uh Billy Bowman Billy Bowen uh, he got screwed out of Thorpe because yeah. stat for stat against the three guys that were finalists it wasn't even close to me he you should have won the Thorpe yeah we talked about that on a previous pod but yeah so you got you got a lot of I'm weapons there and and I think that's an interesting thing that you said Leah Eli about Defense versus offense. You know, you can win. You can rely on either one to keep you in games. Obviously, rewinding the clock back in the Riley era, we were in a position where the the offense always could win you a game. I don't care who you're playing, they could win you a game. We are now in a position, I think, where the defense could always win us a game. Now, obviously, you want to be at the level. OU wants to be at the level where they have both an offense and defense that can do it you know there's going to be a game where one of those two units is out of place because some other the other side of the 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 field that coach that scheme is going to have figured something out and it's going to be working against you and that's going to be the game where you need that other unit to come through for you either one can win you the to you know every game potentially the defense can keep us in every game if they can perform the way we think they can i think you hit on something that's important jay when you say People are probably underestimating our offensive potential. Now, it's a it could go one way or the other, high risk, high reward. It doesn't have to work out great. It could be bad, but it could be really good if it works. And if it works with this defense, it's going to be phenomenally great. Similar to back in prior regimes with our offense, if the defense could just have gotten their stuff together, we could I mean, we were in the playoffs. We could have we could I mean, have gone anywhere. The turnovers tainted his performance so much in the bowl game but as your first true start against a very good very good team, experienced team too he is 400 yards i mean yes he made some bad throws yes he made some bad decisions some bad luck on some fumbles but man if you can just maybe it's a homer take if you can blindly kind of i think you're right though cloud that up we're talking about a true freshman that absolutely lit up a team. And it's important to say the experience because if you look back at teams we've struggled against, it has been in COVID, played a big part in this, teams that really shouldn't be that good that were better than they should have been because of experience, because of age of players, and there's something to be said about that in college, that they that was the thing. It's hard to overcome that. And 
we probably, no one gives Arizona because the name Arizona enough credit for being a really talented and experienced team that he was going up against. So there are a lot of bright spots there, I think. A lot of things to be positive about. And again, it can go either way. The defense doesn't have to gel and be great, but boy, it's going to be really surprising if the defense isn't really good, I think, and very competitive. One of the things it would be very disappointing if the defense isn't. Oh, it actually know, is a huge red a flag for the entire program, including the the leadership. There's if, just if too many people back. So one of the things that's another point of optimism is what on paper should have been our most difficult or one of the most difficult games and opponents now doesn't look that tough, and that's Alabama. That is a lot up in the air about exactly what the Alabama team is going to be. They have lost a lot of players. They've lost the, the goat of college football coaching. Um, now, they've, I think they've got a good coach in the new hire. I think that they've got a lot. It's Alabama. Yes, they can reload, but it's really tough, especially in that first year, to keep everything going and hitting on all cylinders. So if you look at that schedule... That schedule got meaningfully more less difficult with the changes that happened just with Alabama. Um, there's, it's still going to be a tough. It got schedule. more difficult with the Ole Miss. And Probably their, and their, so. And of, of Probably players. so. But I don't think that replaces how much is lost in the Alabama situation. Remains to be seen. They they could be. I mean, they could keep the machine going, and he DeBear just gets everything working uh, just like clockwork. But that's a tough act to follow, not just from the fact that expectations are so high, but just the fact that you are, you're following a, a team that got to the playoffs. You're following a team that had all of that history, and they've lost a lot of players. They've lost a lot. Um, if they're going to be good, if you say, when are they going to be good? When are they going to be great again? When are they going to be at the top of football? You wouldn't predict it's going to be in 2024. You're going to think it's going to take a couple of years for him to get that rolling. So that's a helpful thing as far as the schedule goes. What do you think? I think, I mean, Alabama is going to be one of the best mysteries of college football next year going in just because we don't know is the everyone they lost going to hurt them. I mean, they, they lost a lot, but they retained a lot. They brought plenty in the portal. Plenty of guys came with, uh, you know, Kalen Bourne and all that. Uh-huh. They'll probably still come to Norman with Jalen Milrow, who will enter the year. I don't know where he'd be if you looked at betting odds right now, but a Heisman contender. Um, and if you know, we talk about development year to year. He's a guy who looked very good at the end of this year, who yeah. could take a jump. Not at the beginning, um, at the end, yeah. But no, they're. I mean, they're a complete mystery, and they are undoubtedly, whether it's perception wise or what they lost, diminished without Nick Saban. There's no two ways about it, but. That end of the season gauntlet, or gauntlet as it appeared when Nick Saban was here and we saw it drop with Alabama and LSU to close the season, that's still going to be scary, and no matter who's head, who's coaching the Tide. But it, it maybe it opens some door, um, and we're going to be talking about a really different college football world by that point. I mean, whether Oklahoma's SEC championship contention, sitting here right now, you'd say they should be in range for a 12-team playoff, whether they are, you know, at five six seven eight by that time of the year or 14th and playing for you know almost playing games for the playoff that's what you're going to be talking about and so they're going to be big games and the fact that alabama could be any sort that alabama we're talking about alabama could be any sort of dented 
coming to Norman next November should add some optimism, some excitement, but we we, we can't know what they're going to look like yet. But I, I think we know there's going to be two pretty pivotal games. If I were going to circle a game that I think is the most uh, concerning, it would be at LSU to close the season because it's part of it because it's at LSU versus at home against Alabama and partly because of Alabama's situation. Um, that's going to be an opportunity, though, for OU on a big stage to really separate themselves. So if they're in a spot where they're in that, they've got to earn that 11th, 12th position or, or keep it. They could be 14 looking to make the jump, or they could be 11 trying to retain it. That's going to be a big opportunity. And as perverse and bad as it is, you might be looking at a quality loss against your competition who has a meaningless win and we go down to Baton Rouge and and barely lose a game that's that's an epic game that everyone watched on TV because it was such a, a great matchup. That could be helpful for OU. Hopefully we're not in that position, but you're right, there's a good chance that we are for sure. You can also you can also look at, you know, kind of back-to-back wins to close the season of being in Alabama and going into Baton Rouge and being at LSU. Oh, and you can just you can just place OU smack dab right in the center of everything. This is the SEC, and here we are. I mean, yep, it can go the other way. It could go the other way. Well, you could lose. You could lose to Texas, and your redemption is a tremendous end of the season. You could beat Texas, and you're 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 hanging on with a quality loss against. I LSU. think the good part too. Um, you know, we we kind of used to make fun of this a little bit, being in the Big 12. Uh, a good loss, kind of like you talked about. I mean, if you go out and lose at Ole Miss and it's close and you fought hard, it's just not that bad. It's not the same. You go lose at Iowa State, it's bad. Yep. You go lose at Kansas State, it's not great. It never got the respect. You just don't. Yeah, together. you just can't. Mm-hmm. You can't lose when you're in the Big 12 at all, right? right? And it is, whether it should be or not, it can be a respectable loss in the SEC. Maybe one of the biggest problems going into the next year, not necessarily a problem, but something to watch for <clears throat> that we've all talked about was how bad the officiating has been against us for the last two years. Steve was on Eli's podcast talking about that, but kind of hedging on that it wasn't initially the officials had a bias against us but maybe because we were leaving the conference whatever what's it going to be like being the new kid on the block in the sec and how you know when we watch just sec games we see what the corners get away with you know there's a lot more tugging there's a lot more holding that doesn't get called in you know lsu not that we disagree with it oh i definitely don't disagree yeah there's a lot of times you're like yeah let these guys play instead of a bunch of ticky tack whereas other leagues Big 12, you know, you see a guy just maybe put his hand on a hip and give a little tug and, oh, it's a flag. But they're going to, they let them play generally more in the SEC. What's it going to be like for us being the new kid on the block officiating wise? Is it going to be, we're not used to the physicalness of the skill position type stuff? Our receiver is going to be, you know, not look, not knowing what to look for as far as getting penalties called in your favor. Or is it going to be a bunch of throwing your hands up because, oh, that guy grabbed me, I should have been a call. And it's not in that league because it's a it's a tougher, more... And are, and are our DBs not going to be handsy right. enough? Yeah, so that's another thing. And not just the bias part of it, which, you know, that that's an aspect the last two years that we haven't liked. But 
I'm interested to see what it's going to be like on that on that in the SEC. So it sounds yeah. like you'd welcome like the no call on Drake Stoops in the end zone. No, you know, just more. You know, <laughs> I, I think that gets what called. I think that, twist, that gets yeah. called in. Ninety other games. Yeah, legitimate calls to get called. That's a really interesting uh, twist on that question, though, Lucas. And I don't want to go in thinking, oh, they're going to screw us over. No, 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 no. no. When Missouri went from the Big Twelve to the SEC, they made two title games back to back. Right? Did they start their first two years? They were the SEC title. I don't think A and M never got there. But there's no interest. I wherever the the refereeing biases or conspiracies begin. It is not in anyone's interest, most of all the SEC, to screw Texas and OU on their early play. That's what I would think, especially with a 12-team playoff, because there's a chance yeah. the SEC can get four teams. Right. In. Well, I think that, to me, and I've always been a little bit more agnostic on it, I think that the quality of officiating is higher in the SEC. So I think the quality is going to be better, and you don't have that variance that comes with just not as quality of officiating that you get in the Big 12 and other lesser leagues. It the just other, means more. It just means more. But that's a good twist on it to think what you bring up, Lucas, are we prepared to execute and and do the little time? I mean, they're not even X's and O's. They're the sub-X's, sub-O's of how you perform as a DB, how you perform as a receiver, knowing what will and won't get called. These guys and their coaches have experience knowing what does and doesn't get called. We are going to have a learning curve to figure that out so that we know what we can and can't get by with. And it, it works to the extent of don't expect a call when you're not going to get it in this league and know what you can get by with and be physical enough to st- because you've seen it at the top levels. And we really saw it out of um, Penix uh, in, the, in the semifinal game where you've got tight, tight coverage. You're going to have to be as good as possible against some of these guys because that pass is going to be on the money. Um, when you're playing the top level of football, you if you can get by with a little bit more handsy work as a cornerback and do it in such a way that doesn't get called, then that's important. And that's a skill set that we're going to have to be able to, to have and exert. If we don't, it's marginal stuff that won't go your way that could cost you a football game. One, one big uh, completion can be the difference between winning and losing. So that, that's interesting. That, um, I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. Can we adapt to the style of play and the style of officiating that it is in the SEC? I think as it relates to those like late season games, obviously where OU stands at that point and where the teams they're playing stand at that point will matter. But I think before you get to Alabama and LSU, both on the schedule and in projecting anything of, of where OU will be, it's got to start with taking care of the games before it. Yeah, And that's going to Auburn, handling Tennessee and South Carolina here, Ole Miss and Missouri, those are all teams that should be at or below Oklahoma's, or you know, somewhere in there. We'll we find out in the fall, but yeah. that's where Oklahoma's going to get there. They'll be at eight to ten wins, or seven, eight, yeah, six, seven, eight, 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 ten, ten wins. wins on LSU. You're going to be eight to ten Correct. wins based on how you and and then ball. it'll determine. You know, if OU is in range of the playoff come the end of the season, and they lose a fifty-fifty game at LSU, that's like in the SEC, if they win those games and that gets them in, that's the 12-team playoff, and that's the boost to the SEC. But it's going to be – their season, to me, will be defined by what they do in those earlier parts of the season. And I guess you'd probably pick Texas, Alabama, and LSU as the, the three 
biggest games on the schedule that are going to be the tough ones that might determine if they're on the edge or, or dictate if they're a playoff team or a 9-3 and three team. Mm-hmm. But to me, I want to see how they hang next year. If you're talking about bigger picture, mm-hmm. how do they hang with LSU, uh, or excuse me, Ole Miss, when they have revamped through the portal? And, and fairly, the last few years, they've been they've probably been what Oklahoma should be aspiring to, at least early on in the SEC, which is a 9-10 win team that contends. Competitive team. Contends, but initially, you know, right now they've been off the mark of the very best in the conference. Um, Missouri upstart last year, they've invested a lot in the portal. They should be good next year. I think most OU fans would consider that. I I don't know about a bellwether. I might have set the people sitting around me, but as in the idea of they last year, they they had a better finish than Oklahoma. That should be what the aspiration should be. And in a 12-team playoff scenario, that would be good enough to get the Sooners there. So... Entering the SEC is a brand new thing for OU. Speaking of brand new things, sellout crowd is a brand new thing. So last time you were on the pod, you were a a member of the Tulsa world. You were in older journalism. Now you're in new journalism. You're about six months into sellout crowd. Tell us about sellout crowd. How's it going? And what what do you, uh, what do you, what is it like now? What do you expect going forward? Not just for the football season, but, but here in the, in the football off season and all the other sports going on. Feels like ages ago I was talking yeah. with you guys, but no, it's been a new beginning. And uh, as we spoke about off air, like it, we jumped in. We we launched September first. Oklahoma played its first football game this past season, September second. So it was really, really new, and we dove headfirst in. And we had, you know, it wasn't covering a football season wasn't new to myself. Certainly not to Barry Trammell, Jenny Carlson, <laughs> Gary Nemig, colleagues in Stillwater. But doing it with sellout crowd and a new venture was new, and we. Uh, we really powered through the season, and now we're we're sort of hitting a a slower point, a point where we can, I say, figure out what we're gonna do. But you getting um, a rhythm now? Is it kind of yeah? Like we're we're absolutely in? in a rhythm, and it is. It's now the freedom we all kind of sought when we went to sell out crowd and and doing something different. This is the time of year we get to do it, and so we're we're figuring out all the uh, the exciting stuff with our new resources, with the freedom we have to to do some different things in terms of storytelling, in terms of engaging with people, uh, OU fans in Stillwater, it's OSU fans, and OKC, it's, it's Thunder fans. Um, really finding our, our place because we, we do things, you know, differently perhaps than, than, than we did at newspapers. We do things differently than some of the um, recruiting sites in, in each of the college towns that, that do their thing. Um, so we're finding our place, but certainly like the, the storytelling element and, and doing that from, from writing, podcasting to video that that's that's everything we're exploring now and and the fun part is getting to do that like myself on a staff with people like Barry Trammell, Garney, Meg, Jenny Carlson. Um it's a fun crew. What and, what's uh, been the most surprising aspect of all of it for you? I'd say surprising has probably been at least at first the the reception cuz we all took a risk. Um again, it, it, comparing myself ever like, in any context to Barry, Jenny, Garen They've all been here combined close to 100 years in this state. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that we all took a chance, and I don't think anybody knew what it would be. And so initially it was the reception, and, and you know, we have it either in audience numbers or, or just what we hear. I mean, uh, I, I don't think Barry Trammell goes to the supermarket. I know he loves Crest, and he can't go there without someone stopping him, either praising him for, for what he's done or wondering where he is. There's a lot of people <laughs> who think Barry Trammell got laid <laughs> off at the Oklahoman, and, and that— wasn't the case, but it's it's directing people to what they're doing and, and watching people discover what we're doing, 
and seeing people respond to it. It, it is different. If you subscribe to the Oklahoma and the Tulsa world for the last 20 years, what we're doing now is, you know, elements the same. You can still read Barry Trammell's four, five, six columns a week because he writes like no one I've ever been around. Um, but we're doing new stuff. And, uh, and, and I think that's the exciting part is, is bringing stuff we've all been doing at different places in the state. I hope it, some of it is familiar to people, but the new twist on it and, and seeing people respond to that has been really exciting. What's the, any pivots or any changes you anticipate in the next few months going into um, the summer months and then the, the football season? I think, you know, as it relates to OU, I'm on an OU pod. Like, it's it's uh, it's finding ways to engage the fan base in, in different ways. And, and for me, you know, I, I was at a newspaper, so and I, I'm still primarily writing, so it starts there, but it's it's video, it, it's responding to things. It's, you know, even uh, this week, you know, Garen Hatchett commits to OU in the past. It was easy. It was a story and you were done. Maybe you chase down the family, write a feature, and, and I'm still doing a lot of that stuff, but it's also sitting down with Sam Mays for 10 minutes, not doing a full-length thing, not sitting down to a full a podcast, but Sam watches the tape. He's got his expertise. I've got mine, and we sit down and we talk about it, and boom, it's on YouTube, and, and that's just a bit different than, than what we were all doing at newspapers and uh, kind of the it's small, small thing, but the exciting stuff we're, we're getting up to and, and working on and, and trying to build off of. One guy you left out when you're talking about all that is Coach Stoops. Indeed. I, I enjoy seeing Bob doing the Zooms with, he did George Kittle last week, and that's something locally that we're interested in because obviously his dad was a coach here. He played at Norman, um, obviously the success in the NFL, but to see Bob <clears throat> interact is a like not on a press conference level. It's a different coach too. Being right? able to talk to people and 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 just relate to them in a different way than it would be him in front of a dais doing his, you know, coach speak or whatever has been really cool for me to see because that's something that I didn't know that would even be possible to see in local media. But, you know, Bob Stoops is a considered local media to me now because he's doing stuff like that and that's really cool and i can say like in terms of content in terms of big names like it's just the tip of the iceberg with with bob stoops and i wish my rolodex was as good as him <laughs> i've never had a rolodex because <laughs> you're too young you're way too young but um no i mean and, and that's even the cool bit too of the collaboration of having you know bob stoops in our circle and and what we can do with that and and the power that kind of comes it, it's as much about like the individual and we we're all hired as sort of individual creators who brought what we brought but then suddenly we're on a team and it's it's everything barry jenny garen uh bring it's it's what bob brings uh we're gonna have a whole lot more so it it, it really is from a it's it's the individual end and us bringing our personalities and things like that but then you got the collaborative nature and and you know i'd like to think we're talking about some of the best people in oklahoma sports media there's a robust across the state across outlets incredible media here so but doing it together is, is something special so you're definitely uh i mean it sounds like you've got a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm about what's left to come and so it have has there been a lot of learning that you guys have done and evolution in this this first season i mean it's trial by fire here as you launch right before the football season it's going to be interesting to see you hit your stride then coming back into it into the next football season which is obviously one of the the big drivers, but you got the Thunder, what are they, the third right now in the West, you know, they're pressing for, for second, who knows where they'll end up, but that could be a big end for you guys here in the, the spring into the summer, 
So that could be pretty exciting too. I think so. And I mean, I, I think about like the Thunder taking off with what would probably be their best contending team since the Russ and KD era. Mm-hmm. There's OU going to this new era. To me, like Oklahoma State, the Big 12 in football, I think is about to be what the Big 12 has been in basketball where every night you don't know. It, it is such a top to bottom, talented league in hoops. Football, you could debate, you know, is it going to be at the SEC Big 10 level? Probably not. But that's why I'm excited to watch those games on like Thursday night when the Big 12 is just off the hook. <laughs> and I think it is going to be, I think that's what's The high school be. football you're saying. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Big 12 after dark. Big well, after dark. look, I, I can. I know everybody sitting around here will be tuning in to watch an Arizona-Iowa State game on a Thursday night when there's nothing else on and it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. You will be. That's what I'm, Oh, yeah. People bet on it. Yeah, I'm not being sarcastic. I mean, yeah. no, I, we I, talked about that on a previous spot. How much... How much interest will we have in the Big 12 since we're leaving? I think it's just going to be fun. And we said on game days for us, it won't be – we won't be It'll checking be – we won't be checking K-State, Iowa State scores when we're in in Auburn. But on Thursdays and Fridays, heck yeah, we'll be, we'll be paying attention to that stuff. And perhaps when what's cool to me about the, them adding the West Coast schools, or I guess they're not quite coastal, but yeah. time zones. Yeah. A late Big 12 game after a long yesterday of SEC football is exactly, you know, it might be able to replace the Pac-12 after dark. Point being, it feels like we're starting something new and exciting just as all these teams in this state are starting something new and exciting. And and that's where, you know, all the resources we have, the things we're doing podcast video-wise that is different than just the traditional writing, you know, that all of us have done for so many years feels so exciting, and, and we definitely have a lot of good stuff in store. I can't wait to read some of Barry's stuff when he's going to colleges he's never been to before. I mean, has he been mm-hmm. to Ole Miss or Mississippi State or any of those schools? It's, it'll be interesting to read, like, travel blog-type stuff for Barry when he's getting to experience a completely different culture mm-hmm. of football, honestly. Promise you, Barry Trammell's travel blog after his trip to Columbia, Missouri, will with me will be uh, <laughs> maybe something else. You're gonna take him to some good sites. I've got a lot of good places. You got to take some favorites out there in Columbia, Missouri. I got plenty of favorites. Well, speaking of favorites, tell me what is your favorite Star Wars movie? <laughs> um, in what order? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Like, in, let's say the order that you watch them. Um, well, I think when I finally see my first Star Wars movie, oh. I've got to start. Help me out here with the fourth. Four, yeah. Wow. So, See, I got that right. So you have no credibility because you've never watched Star <laughs> Wars before. But we all know that Empire Strikes Back is the absolute best yep. Star Wars movie, no doubt about it. It's a lock. And speaking of locks, we, as you know, do the locks of the week. That's very well done. The realest deal, locks of the week. And the locks of the week are brought to you by Five Star Concrete. David and Josh are a local business servicing the metro area from patios, sidewalks, driveway shops, and more. Call them or text them at 405-306-3014 or check them out on Facebook, Five Star Concrete. So this is our last locks of the week, and it is Super Bowl week, so we get to talk about who our locks are for the Super Bowl. We've got the 49ers against the the Swifties, and um, I think... I'm hopeful that our long national nightmare may be over, that we may actually get um, an end to the Chiefs' reign. You think the deep state is going to let that happen? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know, but as the writers are writing this script that includes a a Trump-Biden election coming up, that it, it just is fitting that the Chiefs and the Taylor Swift is all intermingled into all of this. Pfizer. 
it, <laughs> Pfizer's yeah. got a roll. It's just it's it's confusing. But I've got I've got my pick. Do you guys uh, have your pick for for the the 49ers are giving two points to the Chiefs. Um, it's in Las Vegas, so um, it's going to be an exciting Super Bowl from that standpoint. Um, you've got a lot of tech bros that are going to be making the trek down to Vegas, I'm sure, to watch the 49ers. You've got all of the Swift Army that's going to march their way west and try to uh, take take the title. Um, you know what university has the most players participating in the Hold on, uh, hold on. It's got to be like one of those really good ones, right? Which one is it? I think it's Oklahoma. It's the University of Oklahoma. We've got six. That's two consecutive years. Two consecutive That's right. years. That's right. And leading all How of many college football in Alabama have. Uh, you know, they've never had a player score a point in a Super Bowl. Interesting. Ever. Ever. Really? It's almost ever. like they get top end talent that's almost maxed out out of high school. Yeah. It, it kind of makes you wonder. It just kind of fizzle. It, it's like we should put in for a, a few national titles that we deserve but didn't get. No, we're not that way. We're not going to do that. Um, well, I've got my pick. Uh, I'll lead us off. I've got the 49ers. I got them covering the two points. They're going to uh, they're going to they're going to cover two. Two is a pretty good number because obviously just a field goal of tied game and a field goal wins it for them or something like that. So I don't, I don't know how the game's going to go. I'm hoping for a good, exciting game. I'm hoping one that hits my numbers, if you know what I mean. But I've got the 49ers covering two. What do you got, Lucas? Oh, it's so hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the guy's played in six straight AFC Championship games, and this is his fourth Super Bowl. Man, as much as I hate to see it, I think the Chiefs win. Got the Chiefs covering with two, plus two. Lucas, what? I'm, I'm sorry, Jay, what do you got? Um, I'm not so much going for someone <laughs> as I'm going to say... I just can't see Brock Purdy being a Super Bowl <laughs> championship quarterback. I watched him play too many games in the Big 12. The NFL is a quarterback-driven league. The two quarterbacks, I don't think there's even a comparison. And again, I just can't see Brock Purdy winning the Super Bowl. So you got Chiefs. All right. Eli, what do you got? stepping in for Connor here? Can I reflect on his record at least? Like, <laughs> yeah, I hope... Yeah, well, he's got a pretty good yeah, record. He's six percent. Yeah, he was our number two on the season. Would so. like this pick to. I hope he take my pick to tag along with his. Uh huh. An Arsenal fan, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am hesitant to pick against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and all the Taylor Swift energy. I don't go against Taylor Swift very often, but I just like. I, I think like the Super Bowl rematch of a few years ago. As much as you're right, I can't see. I could not have seen Brock Purdy, literally what two football seasons ago, three I guess at this point, winning Super Bowl. But here he is, and I. What would actually really concern me was the fact that the not uh, the Chiefs, that second half against the Ravens. As much as it was about Mahomes getting to another Super Bowl, and all that, no points like sixty some odd yards after halftime. No, a lot of that was about the Ravens defense, but the Niners bring a defense. I might regret picking against the Chiefs, but I'll take the Niners with All right, all right. So last week, um, to catch us up, I and Connor were 1-1. One and one. Lucas and Jay were 0-2. Oh uh, so not not a good finish to the end for the Lockers of the week. Now, we all took Baltimore, and so that was part of the problem there. 
But um, so we better get the Chiefs and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I want, I would like San Francisco to win. Just Trent Williams, I feel like. Yeah, it's got being, four. You got four students. Oh, no, that's the Chiefs. It's got four the students. Chiefs, yeah. Two on two on San Fran, four on the Chiefs. But Trent Williams has been, by all accounts, a top five offensive lineman in NFL history. It looks like. Yeah. I mean, the guy is incredible. Give the guy a ring. Give the guy a ring. I I agree. That'd be great to see. It's going to be a great story either way. Um. It's great to see Sooners in the game. That's really cool. That is something yeah, have, to be proud of. I have of. nothing against Swifty. Um, no, me either. But I would prefer a San Francisco win. To, yeah. Just because so Kansas is getting a little old. Yeah. They're the new Patriots, essentially, with yeah. with the public. Yeah. You know, everybody's tired of seeing them. Yeah, it's, it's funny that they, you know, have some of that same bandwagon effect. You know, Tom Brady brought a celebrity status. Obviously, Taylor Swift brings a different celebrity status as a as a very intimate fan of the Chiefs and brings a different fan base. And so it's probably unfair that people are looking down on that group and blaming the Chiefs for the fact that they've got all these uh, brand new money people into football for the first time ever. It's it it's like, you know, I'll relate it back to the Thunder. When the F- Thunder first land in Oklahoma City and they've got an all-star lineup and, uh, and Oklahoma City people are like, well, this is easy. We, we're in the NBA Finals every year. This is great. So these these Swifties, they need to understand that you don't always win. In fact, you can go for long spells in the NFL and not even sniff a title. So. Somebody posted a hilarious um, short video on X or Twitter. This Cleveland fans just beside themselves, <laughs> like our whole life, we've been rooting for our team just to get somewhere. And all these Swifty fans are like, "Hey, we're in the Super Bowl. We just started a couple weeks ago." You think Swifties know much about like Todd Haley and Romeo Cornell and Herm Edwards of that era? Yeah, I'm sure they are very well uh, informed about all of that. And they go way, way back. Um, well, well, I don't know. We'll see. Um, we'll be back in a future pod in in uh, maybe a week or two. Um, hopefully, have you back on, Eli. We're really um, delighted to have your yeah, insights. We want to have you back um, as often as you can. I know your schedule's really busy, but definitely would like to get you back right before the start of the season. If not before that, it'd be nice around the spring football I think time. But something I, I know I'm hard to get, but I'd love coming on with you guys. You're a, you're a, you're a hard to ticket to land, much like Taylor Swift. So you're kind of our Taylor Swift there. Well, that'd be That's great. It'd be great to have you on and get some insights going on. But until then, Boomer Sooner. Sooner.